Hello, my name is Tucker Johnson, and I am your host today as we experience NIMSY Live, where we talk about the latest and greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all that fun stuff global companies need to delight their international customers, or at least not to piss them off too much. On this program, we invite guests who like to have fun and have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals. I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good story or a good data set. So let us know if there are any topics you'd like covered or guests that we should reach out to for future episodes of Nimsy Live. If you haven't already done so, make sure that you are following and or subscribed to Nimsy Live on whatever platform you may be joining us on today. Most of us are over on LinkedIn. So if you follow Nimsy Insights on LinkedIn, then you will be one of the first to find out when we schedule new episodes of Nimsy Live or when we publish new research from Nimsy Insights. Uh, really quickly, for those of you that are joining us today, looks like we got a bunch of people joining over on LinkedIn today. Feel free to leave a comment in the comment section. Take advantage of the, the networking tab. Meet with your, your peers and colleagues. This is basically a live event and the networking happens in the comments. So if you have any questions or comments that you would like to, to add to the conversation, make sure that you're taking advantage of those comments. And if we have time, we will address any questions that that come up today. A little, little bit about the platform, a little housekeeping before we get started here. Uh, like I said, this we are coming to you live on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. If you are watching this recording, um, good for you. The recordings are all archived on our YouTube page. That's Nimsy Insights YouTube page. So you can go over and check out past episodes there. We also have a bunch of free workshops on various topics for localization and a bunch of good stuff over there. This is this will also be made available as a podcast, and you can find Nimsy Live episodes wherever you're wherever you like to get your podcasts. Really quickly before we get started, I, I need to plug this because Multilingual has come out with a new issue. If you haven't gotten this yet, check your mailbox. If you're not subscribed to Multilingual, go over to multilingual.com uh, forward slash subscribe, I believe, and check out the different print and digital subscription packages they have over there. It's a great magazine. They're publishing monthly content. It's very relevant to the industry. This this month's where we have a featured interview with Wayne Borland from Dell Technologies and very interesting conversations in there. I'm going to see if I can get them on the program, actually, and maybe we can um, talk directly to him. So, without further ado, let's move on. Today, we are here to talk about global trends in marketing localization in 2023, and we have a very qualified guest from a very qualified company to talk about that with us. A quick intro here. Global marketers need to engage new and existing customers with great content in their local language, but the challenges of telling the brand story to international audiences can ramp up quickly. In this episode today, we're going to explore fresh insights from over 1,600 marketers in eight countries around the world. We're going to look at what approaches are they using to get the right quality as their organization expands internationally? How are they leveraging AI and automation? Um, we're going to talk about machine translation too. Don't worry. Uh, we'll keep it. We'll keep it civil. 
And what content are they localizing for international growth? Our guest today is Phil Brome, and Phil Brome is the Director of Product Marketing at Unbabel, an AI-powered language operations platform. Phil has spent the last five years leading product innovation at SaaS businesses, applying his expertise in artificial intelligence to help solve real-world business and productivity problems. He's focused on translating technological capability into clear, understandable value, which is something that we need much more of in this world to separate the techno babble and dumb it down for people like me so that we can understand it. Phil, welcome to the show. What did I miss out? Anything that I missed out in that introduction there? Hey, Tucker. Thanks for the intro and uh, great to be here with you. Uh, yeah, no, we'll do my best to, to do some of that translation uh, as best as best as possible. Uh, but no, looking forward to kind of jumping in and, and, and getting into some of this research. It's uh, it's been interesting to kind of look at how do marketers, you know, take their brief, you know, seriously of, of engaging, you know, customers all over the world. Um, but then also, how do we adapt that now to sort of this new time that we're in, which is, you know, changes or big changes that we've seen now in the macroeconomic climate. So that's kind of maybe something we should we should touch on um, as well. But no, looking forward to jumping in with you. Yeah, I, th I think we'll I think we'll get there in the conversation today. Um, before we get too much further. So the purpose of the, the backbone of this episode is a report that was published by, by you guys, by Unbabble. This is not a NIMSI report for a change. I'm not just, um, we highlight all industry research here at NIMSI Insights, not just the, the research that we publish. And it's, it's a very nice report. But before we get into that too much, um, tell us a little bit more about Unbabble, what it is for those, those folks out there that are, are not familiar with exactly what you do. How does Unbabble work with your clients in the localization space and beyond the localization space? Sure. Yeah. So in Babel, we're a, a translation uh, platform, and, and our role is to combine, you know, the power of AI with, you know, human input and human sort of get get to human perfected tr translations by making it very easy and 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 simple for businesses to, to translate at scale across their communication channels or their their wherever they're publishing content, um, and to do so in a way that gives them high very high levels of visibility into performance into quality and into speed um, so that companies can, you know, connect with customers wherever they are in the world uh, to grow their operations or just to, you know, add improvements into their, um, into how they translate currently. So that's a bit about um, on Babel. We, we kind of have a range of different options of how we do translation, starting from very simple sort of, you know, run of the mill machine translation, which is now uh, I, I would say machine translation is becoming pretty commoditized, um, but all the way up through to kind of more of a, I would say, a professional translation approach. So we're trying to partner with with businesses to help them find the right fit for how they need to connect with their customers wherever they are in the world. Nice. So for those of you that were not familiar with Unbabel, that's, that's your crash course. Now, now that we've got introductions out of the way, let's go into the... The report here, the report is called Global Trends in Marketing Localization in 2023. Surveyed over 1,600 marketers from Brazil, France, Germany, Japan, Spain, Sweden, the UK, and the United States. Who's this report for, Phil? Um, why, why, why is this report and who is it for? What were you hoping to accomplish there? Yeah, I mean, this this report really started um, kind of really from our own curiosity. You know, we were we were uh, we were hoping that's going to be useful to to other folks, but it really came from a, a basic question that we had on Babel 
as we started to expand our offering. So we, we began our businesses really focusing on the world of customer service and how can customer service operations scale, you know, uh, elegantly and, and, and with simplicity. But as we expanded our business to kind of more localization solutions and, and, um, and we're kind of still in the process of doing that, looking at, you know, is the marketer someone who is experiencing real pain? within the localization space. We kind of keep on hearing, you know, marketers are always trying to produce a ton of content. They're trying to uh, connect authentically with, with customers. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, is a marketer someone that um, if, they're, if they're working in different languages and in different markets, how equipped are they able to, to, to kind of go in and, and, and do this on repeat, right? Do this at scale without, you know, creating a ton of pain for themselves and, and for their colleagues. And so we're trying to find out, you know, where does the marketer, what role do they play within the localization context? Um, and, and that really became the, the heart of the question. But I, what, I, what we hope was also going to be useful is to, of course, for marketers to have a look at this and say, okay, how am I comparing to other global marketers um, yeah. out there in the world? And what are, what are they doing from a technology point of view, from measuring quality, from their, from their processes? Um, so we hope that's going to be sort of interesting reading for anyone that is either already in multiple markets or is considering that pathway towards multiple markets because that's kind of a it's kind of a scary thing. And then the third the third group here um, is actually you know uh, that are often forgotten localization folks, which we you know we never want to forget them. And and you know what what is the can we build a bridge between marketing and localization? Can we help to sort of create a bit of empathy within the the, the marketing group for what you know what, what localization folks have to go through all the time and the challenges that they that they they meet and and is there a way to kind of bring these groups together because we kind of suspect that perhaps marketers are doing some things a bit by themselves and are you know maybe working around the edges and, and maybe that's the case where there's a localization team already in the business or perhaps pre-localization in a business what are marketers trying to do there so well, there's a lot of overlap, right? Yeah. Um, for those of us with a background in localization, which is my primary background, is we come across marketing folks a lot. And I, I find that marketing folks are generally the people for a company that is not yet global. I mean, well, let's let's be real. If you have a website, you're global, right? The question is like, how, how, how good care are you taking of your global customers? But for... <clears throat> companies that are just getting into market expansion it's typically the marketing manager that kind of gets past that hot potato and says hey what do you know about localization and i've worked with a lot of marketing managers that turned into localization managers on, on the enterprise side in my career so a lot of overlap there so if you're watching this and you're you're a marketing manager out there and you're not sure what localization is well you'll find out one day <laughs> One, one more thing for marketers to master, right? If you look at sort of what does a full stack marketer need to do between, you know, SEO and, and ads and digital and content, uh, product marketing, which is, you know, more, more my focus area. You know, this marketing is incredibly broad. And now you're adding, you know, how do you go make, create real connections with someone in Germany, in Japan, in Brazil? Very difficult, you know, so we, we've got to sympathize with the, these marketers who are, who are trying to learn as they go and, and scale. It's really not very straightforward, I don't think. Yeah, nice. So uh, just going through the report here, I got the report pulled up on screen for those of you that are watching the live stream. For those of you joining the podcast, I apologize. Go go watch the live stream on YouTube. It's archived. Um, audience breakdown. So a lot of different marketers, um, as I mentioned, from a bunch of different countries here. So this is not just a U.S. centric report. 
uh, different company sizes. You're talking to folks from smaller companies all the way up to 5,000 plus employees um, here. So nice, nice cross section. But what I wanted to get to here is, you know, the marks, the report's called Global Trends in Marketing. And you've identified in this report six main trends that I'd kind of like to just go through here today. Uh, starting with trend number one, marketers are investing in translation and localization. What do we mean by this? Yeah, so so one thing that, that came up very very early and very very clearly was that the the case for expansion is pretty clear. So you know we're seeing this increased growth in in actually you know adding more languages within the next year. So this this stat here that we 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 spotlit was eighty nine percent of of global marketers are planning to translate more languages next year, and that's that's kind of telling because you know marketer marketing is always you know uh, negotiating for more budget internally, right. and if if marketers are planning to, to to add more languages, it means that the languages they've invested in already are working, and there is an ROI there. Yeah. Um, and so there's there's that that notion that of course you know the expansion is 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 effective, um, but it probably also suggests that marketers are getting better at it, right? So you're not going to plan on doing something that's very painful that doesn't have any value, <laughs> and so that's a very encouraging sign that there is that there is that continued growth and and. And that the majority of these marketers are looking to to invest more uh, in the coming time period. And when you say majority, we're talking eighty nine percent. Yeah, that is not. I mean, that's not even close to being on the fence. That's. I mean, nine out of ten marketers are planning on adding new languages to to their content stack next next year. More than half, 52% plan to translate into one to four languages, 24% plan to translate into five to eight more languages, and 13, so one in 10 approximately, are looking to expand their language offering by more than nine languages. Uh, based upon your guys' experiences on Babbel, just looking at like the number of languages that people are planning on adding, what are what, what can you talk about as far as like economies of scale um, when it comes to localizing into multiple markets? Like, would you recommend typically if you got a new client, would you recommend the dipping the toe in the water approach? Like, let's do one or two languages and then maybe one or two languages next quarter. Or would you recommend going in and saying, let's just identify our 20 priority markets? What's, what's the approach there that marketers should be thinking of? Yeah, so it, it it certainly does depend a little bit on sort of the business you know posture. Um, but you know, if this is really just a you're you're testing out an expansion, then you might want to just start with with one or, or perhaps two languages. But you do really capture economies of scale as you as you expand and as you grow. So typically, what we try and do with our with our customers is we advise them on okay, you know, if you're expanding into you know all these markets, let's say it's you know call it even number five, you know five markets, you know let's let's turn these all on, right? If these are, these are markets that the business is seriously investing in and we're expanding into, there are certain economies of scale in the ramp up process between, you know, creating your linguistic assets or resources, uh, glossary terms, getting all that sort of, you know, translation done up front. Um, and then all that, all that guidance and rules that you would create within the localization process of, of actually, you know, making sure that what, what you're creating and writing is, is culturally appropriate and, and, and makes sense to that end user you can kind of get a lot of that work done out of the way up front and, and then it becomes less of a you know let's prove this proof of concept down and we have to do the same thing again um in in you know x x amount of time um the also the other part here is that you know the learnings tend to snowball right so you can yeah. kind of apply to all these other languages um you know very much within the same process so 
that's what we tend to advise uh, most of our customers that we work with is to you know try and um, if you're if you're confident about the investment that it is coming, it's better to go for more uh, upfront. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. That kind of follows my my advice when people are asking us. I mean, there's different there's different strategies and different approaches. Some some folks are more cautious about entering different markets. They want to do a bunch of geographic or demographic research and market research before they enter that. Um, you know, there's a case to be made for that, but the economies of scale um, are not insignificant when it comes to localizing just because of all of the fixed costs, for lack of a better term, that you mentioned there. Um, still in page one, I'm going to be skipping around this report a lot because we can't be here all day. Um, most people are localizing website, paid ads, um, content marketing. Um, the list goes down from there. Where would you recommend typically that you know marketers that are new to localization, globalization, market entry, where, where to start? I mean, do they start with SEO keyword research? Do you start with landing page localization? Do you start with sales content? Do you start with product UI? Where's the starting point typically for marketers that want to start connecting better with their global markets? Yeah, no, it's a great, great question, right? There's no, there's no one size fits all, but what, what the research suggested and, and sort of what we've seen from some of our customers too, is that, you know, the, the web experience is, is very important, right? The, the, you know, the website is your window frame, you know, to the world and you, and you really do need to kind of showcase that you're a, a credible and, and reliable uh, business or, or uh, you know, vendor or, you know, whatever, whatever the, the, the posture is, but that's such a key, you know, foundational part. And, and, you know, as you, as you suggested there, Tucker, you know, maybe it's not the entire website, but it could be kind of critical landing pages, right. That you, that you want to, uh, that you want to showcase and, and ensure that there is real, you know, connection that your brand voice is, is being showcased and, and, and so on. And, you know, there's, there's so many examples, right. Where, you know, words are mistranslated or there's just a clunky feel to it. And, and, uh, you know, a local customer is just not going to go through with the transaction, especially, um, you know, if, if you kind of, if you can't really make that very easy and, and kind of create that trust with them. And that's, that was one thing that we saw come up quite a lot with marketers is how do we create trust and really create authenticity, you know, within these, these, um, these, these specific markets. So that was a big one. Um, and, and just SEO like a side note for that is like trust means different things in different cultures, right? Like the elements of trust, what makes people trust a brand in the U.S. is can be different from what what make people trust a brand in South America or Eastern Europe or in Asia. And there's a lot of fascinating research out there. Uh, we, we have a study called Project Underwear, ongoing research on really what is buyer you know, what drives consumers to click that purchase button, right? What drives consumers to trust a brand? And, you know, things that are important in the U.S., things like, oh, I don't know, off the top of my head, like packaging, right? Like quality packaging in the U.S., people don't care so much about in Northern Africa. The packaging is, the localization on the packaging may, may not be that important, right? So these concepts of trust, and this is where it gets interesting because localization is way more than just translating words. It's that is a, a, a means to get to an end of building trust, whatever that may look like with your global customers. Sorry to interject. I just no, 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 no. geek out on this so, stuff. So, and, and we see it, you know, we've even in the, you know, in the relatively simple world of, of customer service compared to sort of, you know, localizing your, your full stack, you know, kind of uh, marketing and brand. Um, 
you know, you, these 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 differences really emerge, and I, and there there is a, a very important way of uh, communicating, engaging, you know, in different markets. We see kind of, you know, the, the classic example is is Germany. It always is. The Germans are are, are kind of good contracts with the with the U.S. Um, and you know, formality and precision are just important as, aspects of, of how you communicate and making mistakes and in and and, uh, and and not showing kind of a, a sufficient enough air of uh, expertise in, in in who you are is, is maybe not as important as in the states as us showing kind of personality and character, you know, on our websites or how we engage in our content marketing. It's just a different different ballgame. It doesn't always translate, pun intended, into yeah. into other countries. Yeah. So moving here and and keeping with trend one, you you said the the findings the report shows that thirty nine percent of the marketers out there are also using machine translation. And yeah. of those, so machine translation, we're going to get into this when we talk about trend number two, but for, for newbies out there, machine translation is exactly what it sounds like. It's machine translation, um, translation being done by a, a machine. It's not, you're not paying a human to do it. Maybe there's a post editing step where a human comes in and edits it. There should be if it's marketing content. Um, and it's typically thought of as a great cost-saving measure for localization and a, a way to do more with less. However, even with the increased adoption of machine translation, it looks like the budgets are still trending upwards, keeping with trend one here. So um, people are spending more, trend one, people are spending more, or marketers are spending more on translation, and that's even with the cost-saving efforts of machine translation, which takes us into trend number two here. Marketers are now embracing, that's a strong word, now embracing machine translation and it's delivering the quality they need. Ooh, those would be fighting words not that long ago. Do you think those are still, con is this still a controversial statement? And if not, why? So I, th I found this really interesting conceptually. So. I think that there is, you know, there's this, there's a discrepancy over what is quality. I think that's always going to be the, the, the argument. Oh yeah. How, so how much time do you got? Right. <laughs> we can keep, we can keep that's rolling. a whole different podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. exactly. And, I, and I, you kind of see that I, you, you, the, the data sort of suggests that as the budgets are going up and, and marketers are kind of, they're expanding their, their, their localization from just websites and SEO terms to a ton of other stuff, right. Within the, within the marketing funnel. Uh, to go localize. So it's almost like, you know, marketers have kind of cottoned on. This is a great way for us to perform and kind of hit our numbers and, and, and do really well. So let's kind of keep, let's keep pushing the gas pedal on, on expansion and localization. Um, and, you know, the, the stat that we actually, you know, picked up around, um, around the, uh, the, 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 the increased usage. So 39% of marketers using MT as part of their localization strategy of that group of 39%, 83% said they're confident in the quality. And so that's that's the kind of piece here that I find interesting is because why necessarily is are, are these are these folks so confident in the quality? Is it because they're not getting the right feedback? Um, is it is it the case that they're not doing the requisite checks or they're not involving the localization partners? Do they don't have a localization team to review it? Because you know, any anyone who's who spent any time just sort of you know playing around with Google Translator or DeepL or any of the the MT leaders knows that yes, while the translations can be pretty good depending on the context. Um, localization, as you said earlier, Tucker, is just a different kettle of fish. Hmm. Um, and you're not going to get to that level of nuance. So 
I, you, you sort of see that marketers in some ways maybe getting a bit greedy to say, oh yeah, we've all solved this with machine translation. But what, what's interesting to me is like, what are those, those subsequent steps when it comes to checking what is the quality? Did it resonate? Did it have an effect um, you know, in, in connecting with that customer? And yeah, it, machine translation is essentially a tool and yeah. it's, it's a tool that's getting sharper and sharper as the technology improves. I mean, there's a whole other conversation about there on, um, you know, where's at what point is machine translation going to peak out? Right. And so far we're kind of starting to see diminishing returns to machine translation quality. Um, but it can't be denied that it is, it is a tool and marketers I think have been the last to really fully embrace it because there's been this perception, the stigma against machine translation is that you can't get, it's not human. It's right. You're taking away the, the human feel of it, um, that you would get from human translators. And it's good to see that marketers are coming around and starting to realize, well, maybe we don't just run everything through machine translation and spit it out there for the world, but there's post-editing, there's different processes in place where we can still leverage the, the cost savings and the time savings to be able to do more with less, even as our budgets are increasing. Looking at who's using machine translation is what was interesting to me reading this report is it's not just the big guys, right? It's This isn't... 10 years ago, or even maybe five years ago, where it's like, yeah, Microsoft's using machine translation, IBM and Facebook and, you know, all those big guys, they're all using machine translation, but it's manufacturing companies, it's small startup companies, it's large companies, of course, too, it's retail, retail companies, engineering companies, um, this is a pretty even split of the types of industries that are using machine translation over there. Did you notice anything in the research that says who's using machine translation versus who's not? Or is it pretty just generally split as this data shows? Any anecdotal highlights that you can add here? Yeah, I mean, this was this was a surprise. I mean, you know, I, right? when, yeah. we, when we were buying this, uh, you know, we almost put manufacturing down. It's like, okay, let's just include this because, you know, we should. Right. Uh, it's like, yeah, they're not going to be using it. And holy moly, 49% yeah. of them are using it. Yeah, they've embraced it. And, you know, these more you might consider traditional or, or back office or, you know, whatever pejorative term you want to use for, for companies that focus on engineering and manufacturing and, and logistics. You know these businesses are really really drawn to the um to, to this technology and have embraced it you know in in some ways more more than sort of your what you would assume is more of a you know b2c and kind of you know uh, certainly uh you know faster moving businesses like retail and, and consumer goods so you know, this was a, a real kind of shock for us to see this this spread um and uh i think less of a surprise to see that smaller companies were, were embracing i think that that kind of checked out against our expectations but but really surprising to see that more, you know, quote unquote, traditional companies would be would be kind of, uh, you know, leading the forefront of, of adoption here. And Karina over in the comments, uh, Karina Balbo has a good point to me that when talking about machine translation, she says MT may be OK for FEIG figs, French, English, Italian, German um, not very good for Asian languages such as Korean, Chinese, etc. And it can be a double-edged sword. This is from my experience. And yeah, I think that leverages, a, that mirrors a lot of people's experience is, and it bears pointing out, is that not all machine translation is created equal. 
Um, machine translation is trained with large data sets, um, just like any AI is trained with large data sets. And um, there's a lot more data out there for French, Italian, German, and Spanish, the FIGS languages, than there is for you know, sub-Saharan African languages. And that's an area where machine translation is still developing. So I don't want to give you any marketers out there who may be listening. I don't want to give you the idea that machine translation is a magic wand and you can immediately translate into a hundred languages. Not all machine translation is created equal. And there are whole industries and or support companies out there that specialize in machine translation um, evaluation and stuff like that. And topic for another podcast, though. Let's move on to trend three, because I'm watching the clock here. Trend three, qual translation quality is the number one challengers for marketers. So this one, less surprising for me. And without getting into a whole debate about, you know, what it, what is quality, right? What is the meaning of life? Um, talk to me a little bit about this one. Yeah, no, very, very much agree here. And I think this is where you sort of see that, that, maybe disconnect is a harsh word, but that kind of disconnect where we saw that that chunk of marketers who is using MT uh, pretty frequently was very, very confident in the quality. Well, here we're seeing that, you know, 23% are actually, that's their number one challenge, right? And it's probably, you know, within their top set of challenges. So there is that kind of disconnect around, you know, just because we're, we're using technology and MT, you know, does that really solve our, our quality issue? And I think what you know what we were saw what we saw here and some of the responses and some of the data was the translation quality pieces is oftentimes a reflection of the process around the the kind of the review and the approval and how do you kind of you know do that first cut translation and then and then take that into publishing and I think that's where the you know if you don't have a repeatable process if you don't get the right cooks in the kitchen uh, if you don't you know have a have a have a, have a, a set of steps that kind of take you to publication rapidly. Um, that give you confidence, especially as a non-native speaker yeah. in that target language. That's where we see that kind of coming apart. So in, in many ways, it was sort of a, uh, and this I think is a bit later in the survey, so we can kind of run through how people are doing quality. It's a reflection of a bit of a scatter kind of approach to doing quality. And again, how do you leverage technology? How do you get process in place? Do you work with third parties? Um, everyone's got a bit of a different approach. I think that's sort of where that where that pain comes in. Yeah, and let's just go there for a second. How are you measuring quality for your translation? 53% are using customer feedback, reviews, CSAT scores, net promoter scores. 52% using internal feedback from colleagues. That's a pretty common uh, model I've seen too. 43% using engagement performance analytics, so more of a data approach. 28% using third-party language provider to rate quality, and 27% using quality estimation tools out there. Um, just to talk about that first one for a little bit, 53% are using customer feedback. And I've seen, we've seen here at NIMSY, a uh, real increased demands for, for this from global marketers and from localization directors as well on this need to understand user perception across multiple markets, right? And as we alluded to earlier in the, in the episode, there's, you know, just like trust means different things in different languages, quality means different things in different languages. 
And what we've found talking to a bunch of different companies is that a lot of times the in-house user experience teams or user experience researchers are very focused on the domestic market and they don't reach out to the global markets to really understand where they're coming from. And so what we've noticed, especially in the last two or three years, is a lot of localization departments turning towards um, like user experience surveys, um, sentiment analysis, um, that basically research and studies that are completely localized into foreign languages. And we've We've gotten quite, we, we do quite a little bit of work here at NIMSI on that. So the demand has definitely been increasing on that. And, it, and that's kind of fascinating. You mentioned that at Tucker because you, you look at the full range of touch points for a, for a user or, a, you know, a customer on your website or, or, you know, someone buying a product from you online, um, you know, trying to get the full range of, of perspectives from users in every market, I think is already a challenge. And you kind of alluded to how do you actually perform those interviews with those surveys? That's already difficult. But then isolating that back to the translation quality doesn't seem to be a very good fit. So this, the fact that this number was so high didn't really surprise us, but you know, we, we sort of think that a lot of people are kind of conflating the, the, the feedback that you're getting from customers because maybe the design was poor, maybe right. you didn't have a very good experience. Um, you know, maybe the customer was just upset about something legitimate. There, there's so many different ways of kind of looking at NPS, especially, but then things like CSAT that are unrelated to the quality of the translation. And actually, this kind of comes back to Unbabel as a, as a starting point when we began as a customer service focused uh, translation platform uh, that, that you know, looked at, okay, well, you know, we got messages from our, our customers who are directors of customer service and saying, hey, you guys are, are tanking our CSAT. We looked at the messages and it said, well, you guys didn't offer refunds, right? And if I didn't get a refund as a customer, I'd also be upset, right? And actually the translations were perfect. So that kind of connection can, I think can be a bit of a, a misnomer and marketers do need to be careful about how they leverage that data to kind of come to conclusions around the quality and effectiveness of the, uh, of the translation and localization piece. Couldn't say it better. Uh, before we get into trend number four here, I just have to acknowledge Thomas Edwards offering me a wafer thin mint. That's that's fine. Get all of your bird jokes out in the comment section, guys. Just let it, bring them on. It's fine. I can handle it. Now we can move into good to see you, Thomas. Long time no see. Uh, trend four: highly manual localization processes are affecting quality for marketers oh highly man do, do highly manual processes still exist i thought everybody was super automated these days of course they still exist people are still localizing in excel spreadsheets sending excel spreadsheets back and forth but how does this affecting i think we kind of touched on this earlier which is quality is quality is a process it, it's it's an outcome but it's also a process there's a lot of steps and this is why enterprises when it comes time to translate their content, this is why they hire, there's a whole supply chain of language services providers like Unbabel that are built up around this because there's there's very, I don't complex, I don't wanna say complex, but there's very robust processes for not just translating content, but making sure that it's done in a way that's going to lead to good quality at the end. Um, but maybe you can talk a little bit about this. How are, um, manual localization processes affecting quality for marketers? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, as you outlined, Tucker, right, the, the, the sort of level of, uh, you know, uh, perhaps confusion or the number of steps that, that are taken to 
to kind of go and and uh, ensure that what you're publishing is actually correct is is challenging and especially if you're if you're a marker that's sort of tasked with performing the localization effort or the expansion effort and you've never done it before you're kind of thrown at the deep end and you you're you're you know focused almost on a tactical level to kind of go and make sure that you know this blog is good and that white paper is good and the SEO strategy is is consistent um, but then there's no way that you haven't necessarily tracked, okay, now let's, let's go and use those improvements and those enhancements to update our style guides or update our glossaries or, mm. or you know, the instructions that we want to have to our localization team. And I think that's where kind of the, some of this, this, this falls apart. And, um, it's, it's a tricky one because, you know, this is kind of process design stuff and a, and a, a seasoned localization person will be able to walk, you know, walk through a, a marketer on how to, or a marketing leader on how to go and, and set this up. But this kind of again suggests that there is that bifurcation or that separation between marketing and localization teams where you know marketing feels they have to for whatever reason is convinced or believes that they need to go do this by themselves and there's not other support available so they go do that and there's that just lack of confidence do we get it right is it good how do we measure it let's use csat right. <laughs> you know and i think that's what slows that's what slows down a lot of this uh, a lot of this work yeah yeah, and ultimately, I mean, just to put it in really simple terms, the more manual processes that you have in, in your localization process, let's say you're copying strings into an Excel file, sending it for translation, getting it and copying and pasting, copying and pasting, um, the more manual processes that you have, the more touch points there are for someone to mess it up, right? And this is another, automation isn't just about reducing cost, reducing time, it's also about improving quality because you're eliminating those manual touch points where, where things can actually get messed up there. Moving on to trend number five, we see localization is driving revenue growth and other wider business goals. Ooh, we're talk now we're talking about return on investments. And you know, this is something that everybody likes to talk to because everyone likes talking about return on investment because that's what everybody's bosses wants to hear about is the return on the investment. If I'm giving you X number of dollars for your marketing budget, what are you going to give me? What's that going to bring me back? So let's talk about localization driving revenue growth and wider business goals. What would you, because I mean, for those of us that have been around localization for a while, I mean, there's kind of a common sense factor in this. Like if we translate our stuff and make it available in more markets around the world, we're going to have more customers and we're going to make more money. So there's kind of a common common sense aspect to it. But in today's data-driven management culture where everything needs to be tracked with KPIs and data dashboards and all of that stuff, it's a very difficult localization and marketing both there's something that's very difficult to prove a direct roi on because if you're doing marketing well how much of that spend in marketing is directly translating into in those increased sales and who gets the credit for the sales usually the sales team right so what, what's marketing and it's the same with localization department if we um do x number of dollars in foreign markets let's say 40 percent of our company revenue is from markets outside our home territory, well, how much how much did the localization, how much did the translation actually affect that? Because you can technically have international customers without localizing. You're only just going to reach the ones that can speak and understand English or can use machine translation. So what have you noticed? What are some of the trends that you've noticed as far as localization driving revenue growth? And what 
I think more relevant, what advice would you have for enterprises out there or marketing managers out there that really want to be able to speak intelligently about this point and the ROI of localized marketing to their senior management? Yeah. So I think, you know, what we, we you know, ultimately the, um, what, what some of these results kind of showcase, I think is that the, you know, marketers are enjoying the fact of expand, like when you expand into new markets, you're technically going to capture more customers and more revenue. Right. So part of this is a bit of a positive, you know, positive circle, uh, or a virtuous circle, I think is the term, right. uh, of greater expansion means, you know, there's just more, there's just more ROI. Um, I think marketers are now, you know, to answer your second question, Tucker, I think marketers now, how do you articulate this, right, uh, to, a, to a broader uh, or kind of a, you know, CFO or, or you know, right. chief, chief procurement officer person, and that's where it gets, it gets tricky. And I think, you know, of course, now that we're, we're in this kind of more of a, of a crunched environment, um, you know, on the macroeconomic front and budgets are getting slashed and, you know, we're all being told to do more with less, which is, has its, has its many challenges. Putting that front and center, you know, is... Uh, is very complex. I think it's 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 certainly a challenge for for anyone, uh, much less marketers, to kind of go and uh, to go and, and and have that conversation. Um, I think the, the the you know ultimately, I think marketers need to kind of go and, and stand behind you know tying this back down to the the business goals and almost looking at okay, well you know if we're if we're banking on you know X markets sort of being our you know let's say you know Brazil Brazil Germany and France being our core growth markets then. Then it, it, it becomes a bit of an easier sell. I think where it's harder is where the expansion has already happened, and then to go say we need to keep on, you know, uh, we need to keep on, um, you know, adding adding spend or, or raising investment when sort of the, the the growth is the growth is flat. I think that's a that's a very difficult conversation to have. Um, but but certainly I think in this in this climate, you know, the key thing is to even though 86% said brand recognition was a kind of a, a, a key driving force that localization is is responsible for. That's not going to really cut it right in the in the in the CFO negotiation room, uh, you know. These days, it, it depends really upon the culture, right? And retention. Yeah, it depends upon the culture, sure. right? I mean, I might not cut it at Amazon where they're just so data driven, right? But you know, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, because the question is like, if I'm a marketing manager, how do I have a conversation about the value of localizing marketing content to my senior leadership? And I was thinking, well, some it's not going to fly for everybody, but some senior management start with this report, go download this report from Unbabble and say, hey, look, here's market research that shows blah, 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 blah. You know, it's not specific to our organization, but eh, this, you know, research, independent research out there is very powerful. You know, this and this is what NIMSI does. I mean, so I'm kind of shamelessly plugging our services, too, because that's like what we do is research. But independent research can be very powerful because there's a difference between you going to your boss and saying, I need more money because I think it's going to make us more money and going to your boss and saying, according to this independent research, um, if you give me more money, we're going to increase that by X percent. So, yeah, a nice practical use case actually for, for this report. So trend six, where we've made it almost through all of the trends here. The last but not least trend is companies in early stages of language operations are reporting higher quality. Um, first of all, what, what do we mean by this? Um, what do we mean by early stages of language operations and what does that look like? 
Yeah. So, so language operations is a is a kind of category that that is emerging with and Babel is uh, and is pushing, advocating through our. Yeah. Exactly. Lang ops. Yeah. Yeah. That's the new, that's so the the new buzzword. Kind of, <laughs> Sorry. You, know, you got to have at least one. Yeah. You, know? you got it. You got it. <laughs> so, so the, the concept is to try and give, you know, organizations, you know, kind of a, a central kind of command center, you know, holistic approach that, that brings together the right people, the, you know, that seamless process, um, technology, the right place in time to make sure that, you know, it's, it's straightforward to communicate on a multilingual level uh, with transparency and control, right? And it, it's almost kind of, you know, there, there, there is certainly room, you know, for the localization team and localization group to kind of almost inhabit this level of, of increased visibility and control and then almost that advice to the business. But the idea is there's that kind of single owner um, and you can kind of scale um, your approach to different languages in, um, you know, from, from one place as opposed to silos a lot of process, you know, teams not talking to each other. That's kind of this this chaos and confusion around languages that we're trying to that we're trying to to kind of you know, combat a little bit here uh, with our technology and our approach. And so, I guess you know what this what this trend here is 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 showing us is is you know companies where they started to have more of a central approach and to drive more visibility. Um, those those types of businesses are reporting, uh, or they're at least they're saying that they are. Uh, seeing higher higher quality, right? So, you know, if, if businesses can can move towards more centralization around going to market uh, in 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 various languages, that's a big win. I think that's somewhat predicated on creating internal trust yeah. and creating processes that work for both sides, right? So, the the challenge here is to say how can marketing and localization teams come together that creates the process whereby localization feels very comfortable yeah. that we're doing things on brand it's to a high quality and so on but then marketing feels okay you guys are aligning to our workflows because we publish four blogs a week and we want it to be fast we just want it to be good enough right so there is that tension to resolve a little bit internally and how do you kind of create a new process there but centralization and, and kind of bringing things together in one roof that's where we have seen from the from the um from the survey respondents that sort of it correlates to some higher quality it's it's not always intuitive either because localization is it's kind of like marketing's you know redheaded stepchild like it just doesn't give the as much respect as it deserves and marketing and localization have a lot in common in the fact that they are two departments assuming there is a localization department right which is a big assumption but there are two departments that touch on everything in the organization right and and we see here you know which stakeholders are involved in the localization process and everybody's listed on here somewhere right i mean to different extents at different organizations but localization needs every team just like every team has well, maybe not every team, but various teams have a need for marketing localization. Marketing's got their hands in a lot of cookie jars. Localization serves a lot of different departments internally, from not just the product department, not just the sales department, but the legal department, the HR department. If you want to hire employees in foreign countries, you need contracts translated, right? And so when we're talking about centralization of localization, what we mean is are localization processes being run through a single department or is every team in it for themselves? Is a legal department working with a translation vendor on their own and the HR department is having all their stuff translated by 
one of their bilingual employees, and there's all of these different processes. And it goes back to the, those economies of scale that we were talking about previously, is with centralization, you can make sure not only are you taking advantage of those economies of scale when it comes to localization processes, but also is that the output and the quality is consistent across everything. If you have a different translation team working on your product UI, let's say, than working on the marketing UI, then how's the marketing or the marketing content, how's the marketing going to accurately reflect the proper terminology if there's not if you're not talking across those? Um, I was reading here, it says the survey revealed that 64% of global marketers report having a dedicated team. So that's what we're talking about, centralized localization that handles localization across their company, of which 53% are extremely confident in the quality of their translations, right? It's like, hmm, okay, that doesn't seem that high. But then we go on and read, comparatively, out of the 31% who say each department handles their own localization, i.e. no centralization, um, only 30% are extremely confident in the quality of their translations. So having that centralization, I mean, the data does support your points, Phil, that having that centralization, not only are you being more efficient and taking advantage of those economies of scale, but also you're improving quality as we go along. Yeah, and I think this is where, you need to kind of tie it back up, Tucker, I think this is where, you know, language actually does become, and I can maybe say language and localization actually is a strategic function in a business. Yep. And, you know, I think many until, you know, probably very recently it was, it was viewed as sort of this necessary step that you've got to take. And it's just, you know, part of the run of the mill, you know, work of running a company, but, but no, it's actually strategic because of this notion of if you can, um, you know, bring your teams together, your various departments together and, translate localize at scale, do this, do so with efficiency, do so with trust and get to, you know, quality outcomes that meet your business goals, that is actually a competitive advantage. Right. You know, so what we sort of hope to, you know, as, as there's more evolution and understanding of, of localization and translation and, and expansion in new markets, we kind of hope to see, and we certainly want to be part of as a business making language a strategic entity within a business because it, it really should be at the C-suite uh, in these conversations. And I think some of this data kind of suggests, you know, why that, why that's the case. Well, and you mentioned, um, I, I like that preach it localization should be at the C-suite. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're speaking my language now. And I think probably a lot of people listening would agree with that. It's how do we get there? Um, you used the word expansion, right? And expansion, you know, the C-suite doesn't care about translation. Translation is a checkbox for them. It's a means to an end, right? The C-suite very much cares about expansion. But I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the shifting macroeconomy type stuff going on in the world. Because this report is, you know, it came out, I think, about six months ago. And, you know, things have changed. I mean, things have changed since I had my first cup of coffee this morning as, as far as the global economy. And nowadays we see companies tightening their belt, especially in big tech. It's in the headlines, you know, started with Twitter laying off half the workforce, Microsoft letting 10,000 people go, Facebook, everybody's laying people off, everybody's tightening their belts. Um, budgets are reducing. So expansion might not be the right buzzword these days anymore. Um, how has that affected budgets in the, in the time since this report has come out? What changes, let me just make a general question. In the six months since this report has come out, 
if you were to add an addendum today, like what, what are some of the anecdotal observations that you would list at the end of this report? Yeah, no, a fabulous question because it is, you know, the, the, the conditions are very different. Uh, you're, 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 you're spot on. So, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the easy way for, for marketers to get this budget and to, you know, uh, showcase the, 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 the style of what they were doing is to kind of tack it to expansion efforts, right? And it's also a great way for localization teams to, uh, to get some more time in the sun and, and, and sort of, you know, showcase where they're really adding value to the business because that's how you, you know, the expansion will fail, right? If you don't localize effectively. We've definitely seen, you know, the last few months, uh, budgets are tightening. I think that's pretty clear across um, across the industry. So we're seeing kind of less discretionary spend in, in localization, in the role of customer service, yeah. uh, in marketing localization as well. So there, there's definitely a, a, a tentative uh, approach to where can we spend money and, and what's really critical spend. Um, and I think the other thing we've seen, interestingly enough, and it does dovetail a little bit with what we see in the report here that I might add as an addendum is kind of an increased interest or usage or kind of turning to direct, um, uh, for lack of a better word, kind of direct machine translation players. So like okay. going directly to a D-Bell or going directly to yep. uh, you know, Google Translation Hub because yep. um, it is again seen as we just kind of keep the lights on. And um, and this is sort of the, the, the approach that, we, that we've got. So... You know, there is a bit of an evolution there. Um, I think it, you know, it all does come back full circle to what's the process? Yeah. You know, what's the, how do we measure quality? How, how certain are we that we're, we're making connections? But, but certainly I think those, those two things have been, have, been, um, have been interesting to see because that evolution of, yes, we're, we're tentative about budget. How do we prove that it's gonna be effective? And then this kind of doubling down on a reliance of, of only MT or MT only providers um, has been interesting and I think pretty noteworthy. Well, and especially since machine translation has improved so much, and we've, we've kind of already talked about this, it is becoming not the ideal, but perhaps the minimal viable product. And when belts are being tightened, I think companies kind of want to go to, like what's, like you said, keep the lights on. Like how can we just do the bare minimum, for lack of a better term, and make sure that we're enabling people to purchase from us, essentially, that we're enabling people to give us their money. And it might not be the best user experience, but it's what we need to do at the time. But one thing I have noticed is that, you know, localization and marketing as well is, but particularly localization, we don't see a lot of downturns that are specific to the localization industry. Because regardless, you know, if times are good, then people are translating new products, new contracts. If times are bad, then people are translating layoff letters and you know, lawsuits, essentially, mm -hmm. right? There's always going to be a need for localization until the machines replace us fully, which is a fun thought that I, I want to just spend two minutes. I would have loved to get more time on this, but chat GPT, um, all of this AI, I mean, AI has been around for a while, and so it's nothing new for the AI geeks out there, but what we've seen with ChatGPT is that it has now reached this point where it's becoming more accessible to others. You don't need to be a PhD, um, NLP, P8, blah, 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 other acronyms, geek, in order to have access to this type of technology. It's becoming more and more accessible for people every day. And one of its strengths is content creation and 
really getting into that domain of creative, the creative space, which overlaps a lot with marketing. Really quickly on this big subject, what what do you see as the implications of Chat GPT um, in changing the marketing landscape, and particularly the marketing localization as well? Yeah, it's a big question. I, I think it's I think it's several fold. Uh, kind of with my answer. So I think I think one point that's you know there's, there's certainly a, a rising rising tide lifts all boats concepts here. So it's Chat GPT is great because it's it's I think it's really the first. Uh, example of of AI being kind of used as a in a way that people can interact with kind of in any walk of life. I, I don't think there's been an example like this where where you can kind of obviously we're all exposed to algorithms and our Netflix you know algorithm and YouTube algorithm and so on, but that's it's not interactive really the same way. And so I think there is a lot of um, misconceptions that will be broken around machine translation, which is which is great because I think it is important that we have a, an increased use of the of the technology and just this is just desensitizing artificial intelligence, which I think is I think is fabulous. The the thing there then is then how do we kind of focus on from a, a translation localization perspective? How do we then focus the most valuable um, you know human human uh, effort or work uh, into kind of making again kind of really taking the localization aspect of that because AI is is very good and it's getting better, um, but how do we kind of go and isolate which parts of a translation are really critical? Um, to to be translated really well, or how do we make sure that you know we're adapting and, and changing our kind of brand voice um, in line with broader changes in society, or uh, broader changes in how our business is evolving, and and those things actually do require critical thinking and, and, and engagement. And one thing that we're trying to lead on is around just this notion of quality uh, evaluation. So when we get translations at Unbabel, we're able to evaluate the, tra the the translation quality. And then pinpoint the areas where it was weak, and that's you know for us is is trying to kind of move the needle on yeah you know AI is great and it's it's making huge 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 strategies and roads. How do you now also use AI and leverage AI to make predictions on quality so that we can then send those poor performing translations over to a human? How do you you know obviously for for post edition or for refinement? How do you then design great processes right to leverage things like ChatGPT? So I think it's it's a it's an important uh, it's an important watershed for us. I think you know, there's a lot of excitement around it. Some of that is overhyped, and uh, and we still need to be careful around how it's used and make sure that it's it's not going to be a catch-all. Uh, you know, if you want to spin up a press release on a new product that you've launched, you should read it a few times and make sure it's actually accurate. It sounds great, but it's not yeah. going to be quite where you want. But there's still, I think, a very important role um, for the human translator, for the localization expert, um, and I think that these things can be uh, symbiotic. So it's a question of, of kind of letting the AI do the easy stuff. I know this is a kind of a trait, a trait statement, but you know, this is great for letting AI do that. And then us doing the high tech, high touch um, and, and much more nuanced work that's required for the localization. And that's, I think that's critical. Very, very good answer that I, I love talking to people that actually have smart things to say about this. Speaking of which, I see Diego Antista in the comments section. If you're still here, we're going to be I'm going to be talking to this gentleman too, Diego. And as soon as we get something scheduled, he has a company called Git Globy that's doing very interesting work with AI and keyword localization. Um, actually, you know, the, something that's very challenging to do with humans and very costly. So it has a very elegant solution for that. So stay tuned and make sure that you're subscribed to make sure that you are notified when we go live with that. 
Phil, anything I forgot to ask you? Any closing remarks before we wrap it up for today? No, look, I think this has been super fun. Thanks so much for having uh, having us, uh, Tucker, join. I think, look, the, the the thing the thing here, the final thing I'll say is that you know everyone in an organization should be a localization champion. I think whether you're in marketing, whether you're in product, obviously for localization. Uh, but but I think that's what this this report kind of shows. That's what we learned is everyone should should try and focus. How can we localize better? Uh, how can we how can we get faster? Uh, how can we create better processes and, and just think about it in in the work that we're doing? So I think yeah, go go be a localization champion um, and and you know figure out what, how the business case can support that. But that's that's kind of my final uh, final note. I think excellent closing argument. Well, thank you so much, Bill or Bill. Wow, I and stick the landing on this episode. Thank you so much, Phil. I'll take us I'll take us out here before I make any other mistakes. Ladies, gentlemen, chat, we are out of time for today. If you enjoyed this episode of Nimsy Live, then join us next time and you'll like I said many times, subscribe, follow, all of that stuff. You'll be notified when we do new episodes. Um, if you're already signed up, or if you're if you're already following us, then you can go over to nimsy.com and check out the cool research and stuff that we have over there. My initial comment on this string linked some relevant research and case studies that might be interesting reading. So if you're on LinkedIn, go back and check out that first comment. I'll see if I can pin it after this event is over for more research. If you want to find out more about Unbabble, it's unbabble, U-N-B-A-B-E-L.com is where you can find out more about what they do. They have this and under the resource center, they also have other research that you can peruse. Of course, Nimsy Insights, Nimsy.com. We have a bunch of research. Our feature this month is going to be our Lessons in Localization series, which is an excellent series. If you want to hear how localization is managed, is it centralized? Is it decentralized? Who's taking care of it? At other companies like Vita Health, Datadog, Trustpilot, Pinterest, Babbel, Kayak, Electronic Arts, we have a whole bunch of these. Then you need to check out the Lessons in Localization series from Nimsy Insights on that. Lastly, I appreciate our guest today, Phil Brom from Unbabel. I appreciate all of my colleagues here at Nimsy Insights doing all of the hard work so I can have these fun conversations. I appreciate everyone in our industry who fills out Nimsy surveys and schedules briefings with our analysts so that we can include you in our published, re published industry research. And finally, I appreciate you, the audience, who are joining us live today and really contributing to the chat over there. Um, I appreciate all the questions, all the comments, and especially the criticisms. And I will look forward to next time. Have a great day.